ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are going to talk about a new way to change the game. Really, the, the topic of today's conversation is about performance, and not just performance, but performance breakthrough. And I love anything radical. Those of you who know me know that to be true. And we are going to be talking about a radical approach to success at work. And our guest today is Kathy Sallett. Kathy, welcome. Uh, thank you so much, Chicky. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and, and, and having a chance to share ideas uh, with your listeners. Thanks for having me. Great. And did I pronounce your last name right? I forgot to ask you that before we got on the air. Oh, no problem. It's, uh, I pronounce it sail it, like sail the sail boat. It. Sail it. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay, well, that will be easy to remember. Kathy, uh, this is your first book, uh, yes. and so I, I really want to hear a little bit about kind of your journey to become an author. Uh, a lot of us have books hiding inside of us. Uh, for some of us, it gets out. Others, you know, they go through <laughs> life wishing they had written uh, written a book. So tell me a little bit about you. Our, our listeners love to hear your backstory. Oh, great. Okay. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, this is my first book, and uh Given that we you started off right away talking about this uh, this idea that we're going to be discussing, which is performance, uh, I, I have recently started performing as an author, <laughs> uh, ah. and uh, meaning that it's a very new experience for me. My background is in the theater, and also in non traditional education. Um, Chicky, when I was uh, I grew up in New York City, and uh, when I was 12 years old, I actually quit school. I didn't like the school that I was going to. I was finding it um, not really relevant. Uh, this is this is another <laughs> century, of course. Uh, so this is in the 1970s. <laughs> right, and, right. And so you know, there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of social ferment and tumult, and. Uh, and I was caught up in that even as a young teenager. And so the school I went to was very traditional, and I felt that it wasn't speaking to the kinds of uh, subjects and the kinds of conversations that I wanted to be involved in. And I was pretty unhappy in school. And my mom uh, and I would talk about this all the time. And one day after I actually had been sent to the principal's office because for, for you know, like the 10th time, um, because... <laughs> Uh, I had gotten into a fight with a te my teacher because she wouldn't let Peter Winston go to the bathroom, and I thought that was very unfair, uh, and so I spoke up. I was sent to the principal's office. I went home, and um, after that, I went home, and um, my mom and I were talking, and uh, we ha this has been, we've been, I've been so upset for like months, and she said to me, I think you should quit school, sweetie. I think you should quit school and start your own. <laughs> And I, I was like, you know, I said to her, I'm 12, mommy, you know, <laughs> she said, I know how old you are. I'm your mother. Uh, she said, yeah. She said, I think you should quit school and start a school that you want to go to. Uh, and then she asked me whether other kids that I knew felt the same way. And I said, yes, actually. And she said, oh, well, get them to drop out. <laughs> oh, 
how funny. Well, I laugh at this, Kathy, because I was just two years behind you at age 15. Well, two and a half probably. And at age 15, I came home and told my parents that I wanted to quit school. Oh, I love this. Oh my gosh, and I and I I actually didn't read that part of your background before this call, but but it is so funny to meet meet a uh, kindred spirit. Now I didn't start a school, and I actually went to my school after talking to my parents and and agreeing yeah. that maybe that wasn't necessarily the best course of action. But they said, well, why don't you just go to school half days and work half days? And I said, oh, well, you know, okay. So I went to the guidance counselor and I mean they sent me like to work in a restaurant and I'm like you know what that that wasn't what I was thinking (laughs) and my my dad was a pastor and he had a friend who was the general manager of a Christian bookstore now the other side of my life story is is uh that I had no business working in a Christian bookstore with my lifestyle but the fact of the matter was I started working there and I actually started dropping out or you know not going to school so that I I kind of reneged on the half day thing <laughs> and so I just worked wow and, uh anyway uh, learned bookkeeping you know certainly learned retail uh ended up going to college later only after one semester to come home and ask my parents if I could drop out of college and I come from a family <laughs> of very highly educated uh you know everybody has a masters or a doctorate or or more and here I was wanting to quit school, and I actually did quit because I, yeah, I wrote a paper about the value of experience versus education. So you and I are are like sisters from another mother. Oh my, this is fabulous! <laughs> that is so great. Oh my god, I should be interviewing you next. Okay. Well, <laughs> well that that's kind of how I run my interviews. We we talk to each other. <laughs> that's awesome. So wow. then, what happened? So you, so you started well, school. So- yeah, so about 25 of us, the other kids, um, left you know the school that they were going to. Some of them were the some of them came from the same school that I was in, um, and we took over an abandoned storefront in New York City, uh, and we began to not only figure out like what we wanted our curriculum to be, and and this was. But we did that, and that you know the curriculum ranged from things that you might consider typical for a school, like geography and you know history of the labor mm-hmm. movement, and you know, but also because of the time, you know, it was also like how to how to tie dye, you know, how to how to match. <laughs> <laughs> and we would design where we had our classes. Did we have them in the one-room schoolhouse that we had created? Or if we were going to have a class on urban planning, would we do it on the subway? And we hired and fired teachers, and we raised money, and we ended up um, we ended up uh, writing a book, actually. So this actually is my second book. I was a published co-author at the age oh, of 13. Okay. Uh, we, we wrote a book called <laughs> wow. Starting Your Own High School, which was published by Random House, and we were interviewed by the – Harvard uh, Educational Review, and it was sort of a, we were a little bit of a phenom. Um, one one funny story, uh, Chicky, is that the uh, we took over this abandoned storefront, and we were debating about what the name of the school should be, and, and, and it was, you know, was it going to be like, you know, the revolutionary, you know, people's school, or, you know, you know again, this is back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, and we were batting about all these sort of crazy names, and and then we realized, you know, we didn't really have much money 
and um, we could save $95 if we named the school uh, after the sign that was on the dry cleaners. And so we became, oh, the, Elis- no we became the Elizabeth Cleaner Street School. <laughs> the How school. funny is that? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was really um, a wonderful experience. Uh, in a sense, and I'm, I'm thinking about what you were just sharing about your story, that, that, that often it's the case that we think that we have to, we have to stay on the beaten path and that we, you know, there's, there's one way or two ways to do things. And, and if you, you know, if you get off that road and you say, you know what, I want to try something different. Part of what, part of what I think, I don't remember a lot of the subjects that, that, you know, that we just, that what we learned in the classroom as most people in school, you know, and even in regular schools don't remember what they're, you know, what, what this or that fact. But what I do remember and something that I think had a really big impact on me, Chicky, is that, is that we can create something from scratch. You can you can bring a grouping of people together and 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 without knowing how to do what you're doing, and create <laughs> something new. And right. and so that has really stayed with me. And and this idea that you can break rules and make up new ones. Um, I think I think just had a very um, big impact on me. I never ended up actually going back to any sort of traditional school, so I was fortunate uh-huh. to not have to go through the dropout experience again like you had to go through. Right. <laughs> I, I just dropped out. Well, and then I'll tell you, it's so hard now because I've got I've got a daughter who's 18 and a son who's 16, and they go to uh, a private school that is very definitely college prep. In fact, they boast of having a hundred percent college acceptance, and so here I am, wow. still the iconoclast, <laughs> right? Who, if if either of my children actually wanted to pursue entrepreneurialism or you know just doing something without the traditional model, I would absolutely encourage that. Now, both of them actually do want to go to college, so you know I'm certainly not going to hold them back. Um, but you know, it's so funny that you talk about the you know the blank sheet of paper, and I mean, we really mm-hmm. could be, uh, we really could be related, <laughs> because my whole career on the corporate side, and I, I spent, um, I've worked, gosh, since 1978. Uh, that. Well, 75 if you count the skipping out of school and going to work. But uh, during my, my what I call my corporate career, that was from 1978 uh, to um, uh, 1996. And during that time, I was always the special projects person. So somebody had an idea and a blank sheet of paper, and I had to put form and substance to that. And that I very you. definitely didn't know how to do that. But mm-hmm, I learned mm-hmm. by doing, and I happened to be yes. blessed to be within the American Airlines uh, Sabre group, which was the, the computer side uh, of the business. And, you know, I was working with a bunch of MBAs, in fact, had a bunch of MBAs working for me. And, you know, I mean, I, I would look at them kind of sideways thinking, really, what in the world did they teach you? Because, you know, it wasn't very practical. And, you know, yeah, I'm ultimately yeah. practical, you know, to the nth degree. So, so you went on and you, you founded, uh, co-founded uh, Performance of a Lifetime, you know, which was a consulting firm uh, really to help leaders and teams and organizations grow their business. Um, yes. And, and focusing on the human side of strategy, which, again, 
I love that piece. Now, I don't always like the nitty-gritty of dealing with people, which, you know, is kind of counterintuitive, but I'm a strategist at heart. I mean, that, the last 20 years I've had a consulting firm that focuses on strategy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that phase, and then, you know, we will eventually get around to talking about the book, I promise. Oh, no, no, no problem. I, I love the conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I – Sort of like a fast forward from Elizabeth Cleaner Street School is that, which will help sort of just get us a little connected to how I started and why I started Performance of a Lifetime. But um, so I was involved in theater and improvisation. I had always performed as a kid and I had, you know, I was told I had some natural talent at it and so I worked to develop it further. But it, but But because of my this unusual school experience, I also was very, remained interested in non-traditional education and alternative ways to help people to learn, to grow. Um, I was very interested in, if you will, the emotional sides of things and, and wanting to, and thought that learning and developing, it's not just cognitive. It's not just something that has to do with your brain or with facts or acquisition of information. It's also creative. It's emotional. It's subjective. And so I um, I had the fortune of, the good fortune of finding people who were doing some really interesting and radical work uh, about bringing together, sort of crossing disciplines between, you know, uh, education, uh, mathematics, philosophy, art, theater, social change, and uh, and started studying with people again in an informal way uh, who who had started the field of performative psychology is what it's called, and um, I was very inspired by this and the idea of being a performative psychology uh, without sounding too academic is that human beings collectively create our lives through performing together, that that life is not something that is static, um, that who we are is not something that is static, who we are together is not fixed, and that we can we can create that in the sense of like literally creativity, that we we can perform, create, improvise our lives together and that's that's how people grow. It's what we do as little kids and so on and so forth. So um I was really interested in these ideas, and I thought, well, maybe we could, maybe we could um, start a school for adults. Uh, I put school in quotes. Um, a school, <laughs> a place, a place for adults who were not professional performers, like who had no particular interest in becoming actors or you know comedians or anything like that, but but to give them access to some of the joy of performing and improvising so mm-hmm. that they could integrate that into their life. And, and so we, we opened up a school in, in Soho in New York City. Tell me, Chickie, by the way, if I'm giving you too much detail. So oh, no, I, not at all. I'm fascinated. Okay, okay. okay. Um, and so and we designed this program, a four-week program that we called Interactive Growth Theater. And it, it, uh, the way it worked is that like a grouping of anywhere from 25 to 75 people who didn't, for the most part, who didn't know each other, and like I said, who were not professional performers, would come together. Uh, and the first exercise that we did as a full group is that we invited each person to come up on stage and perform their life in one minute. Mm. Give them an entire 60 seconds to perform their entire life. And uh, and then these performances, which were amazing, Chicky. I mean, they were like... They, 
this was new back then for me, and I've now done thousands and seen thousands of these, so which are always so moving because people get up there and they do such a very rich um, performance. And by the way, it really is a performance. Like it's not like you you can't. It's not. We don't let people come up and say, hi, my name is Kathy Salen. I'm from New York City. I blah, 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 blah. If you're right. going to come up and do, if you're going to do something like that, then you've got to do, hello, my name is Kathy Rose, <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> sing and dance and do, you know, whatever. Uh, and and then based on these one-minute performances that people do of their lives, uh, then we uh, give them some theatrical direction. Our professional directors and improvisers take, we're inspired by these one-minute performances, and then wow. we take them and we give them some direction to do something different, to, 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 to you know, it's like a twist. So, um, you know, maybe this time do it, in, do it in Creole. I don't know Creole. Pretend you do, you know, and then do the exact right. same scene in Creole. Um, we would often put one of our professional improvisers into the scene with them. And this, all of these performances became the raw material for a play uh, that was based on people's lives. We would sort of develop what the themes were that emerged. And, and so right. this, is, this, is, um, is this? this is like the mid to late 90s. Um, 1990s, and it was such a and, powerful And by the program. way, before you, before you finish that, I've got to introduce you to one of the other authors that I have interviewed. Her, she wrote a book called The Improvisational Edge, and her name is Karen Huff, and I'll, I'll send that to you afterwards. Oh, I would love a little to. Differently. I think I've actually... Yeah, I think I've heard of her, actually. Yeah, and, and I, I interviewed her, and then I recently wrote a book where the story behind the book is a bunch of people who are going to a, a really bad facilitated meeting off-site and, and their yeah. company is kind of in, in a little bit of turmoil because they've just brought in investment. And then everybody leaves this session and they, unbeknownst to each other, they all listen to one of my radio shows. And so one of them listens to her and really needs some of the things that came out of that improvisational technique because it's all about the secrets to building trust and radical collaboration. Anyway, uh, I won't I won't go in into the rest of the detail, but, oh my God, but you I love two this. you two would have so so much in common. <laughs> anyway, continue your story. I interrupted. No, that's okay. Uh, so we did this program uh, that uh, you know probably. I don't know. Maybe maybe 200 people or so went through it, and but we didn't have any marketing dollars. And even though this was in New York City, and and actually before this is this is as I said the late 90s, and so improvisation is had not sort of emerged as something that people were familiar with that right. people were doing. It was still like pretty weird, you know, even for for New York <laughs> City standards. And and um and so we we started to struggle like with getting new students and getting the word out. And then one of my students who worked for a financial uh, services firm called me and asked me whether we would do some version of that program that I just described for her sales team. And, and check it, you know, my first response was no, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. This stuff that we do is too freaking weird. And, uh, you know, it's never going to work in a corporate setting. And anyway, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not a corporate person, you, you know? And so it was like, uh, anyway. And so there was some back and forth. And uh, finally she, uh, she said, I'll give you $1,500 
And, you know, at the time, I was like, you will? Oh, my God. Oh, okay. You know, because we couldn't pay the rent. So, so anyway, oh, so we did like a half-day version of this program. And to my surprise, not to her surprise, because she actually had a good eye for, you know, for this kind of thing. And and it, we ended up doing a bunch of work with her, her sales team, which who had, like, they basically had, they had no energy. They they were just sort of doing the same old, same old, and they weren't collaborating well and listening well with each other. So mm-hmm. it ended up having a really positive impact. And so we changed our business model, and the rest is history. And so now back to this is a very, very long-winded answer to your question, like what do you mean by, you know, focusing on the human <laughs> side of strategy? Are you impressed that I remembered the question that you asked? <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, we're never going to get through the book, you know that, but that's okay. It just means we'll have to have another call. Okay. Um, and so we, what we now do, Chicky, and we've been in business for almost 20 years, and we work with, uh, you know, a pretty, um, uh, a very impressive list of clients, from American Express to Nike to Rolls mm-hmm. Royce to Chanel to Johns Hopkins Hospital, the U.S. Olympics, on and on. Um, and we work globally. And what what we do is, it's often the case, and I'm sure you've had this experience, given that your background in as you know in strategy, it's often the case that a an organization or company will have a strategy, like either a new strategy that they want to rule out, roll out, or they have some new initiative, or they have some new objectives and new goals that they want to accomplish. And they they will tend to put a lot of focus on uh, sort of identifying where it is that they want to be and what they want to accomplish, but they don't do the work <laughs> of figuring out how to support the people, the human beings. Right to get from where they are now to where it is that they want the company to be. And right. so what we, in using um, this, the idea, and this is the idea that I talk about in the book, that if you're going to have a performance breakthrough, whether that's as an individual, as a team, or as a company, then um, it actually turns out that you want to tap into our natural ability to perform because when we can start performing, and this is something that we all did naturally as kids, and we do today as adults, but we don't think of it that way, then what you can do is you can start breaking from your scripts. You can um, put your current vision, your current play, if you will, rather, on stage. What, what is the current way that the company works? What is the current strategy? What, how, do things, how do things operate on a day-to-day basis? Literally, we work with companies to put that on stage Right, so that they can have a look at themselves, because it's very hard to take a look at, you know, right. what what you do and how you do it. But people perform the current play and then can begin the process of imagining and creating the new play. What does that need to look like, and what are the barriers that get in the way? And well, often, I, I am fascinated. I I, uh, I have I have a. a another process that I use to help companies in the same situation. And I'm telling you, the the power of the two together would be unbelievable. <laughs> so we'll talk well, about that we offline. We should talk. Yeah, we should. We talk. should. But, but in the meantime, people who, who uh, joined our <laughs> show to hear about the book, Performance Breakthrough, we should perform that for them. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's so, so let me, audience. 
Yeah, let me let me set the stage uh, using your vernacular here. You have uh, separated the book into three different parts, and um, you know while that's not an uncommon methodology for authors, you break the, it actually into three acts, which yes. is totally apropos for for what we're talking about in the performance realm. So I think you've really already answered for us Act One, which is why performance. And but I do want to uh, just share with folks the subtitles, you know, of the chapters within this section because, uh, you know, I think this is so important. And you just talked about it with a company seeing how they behave today and what they want to be, and you talk about who you are and who you are not, and that's mm-hmm. actually when when you see the methodology that we use, it's it's almost the same exact kind of language of, of making sure that you do know that, right, and and for what you want to be, knowing what you don't want it to be, right, what you mm-hmm, don't want mm-hmm. it to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, you also talk about all the worlds of stage, and I, again, I think you've already addressed this, but if there's anything out of Act 1 that, from the book that you would like to share with us, please feel free. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, just quickly, what I'll say is um, – one of the, I, I talk about this a little bit in the book, in the chapter, Who You Are and Who You Are Not. The, something for, for the listeners to think about as I say that, because you might feel like, well, wait a minute, why, why, do I, why would I be who I'm not? If you're going to be in the growth space, if you're going to be a learner, and if you're going to both embrace change that goes on in the world that you don't have control over, as well as be a change agent and be someone who's open to what the world has to present, then you've got to spend some time uh, being who you're not. Uh, You never lose who you are. And if you look at what we do as babies, what happens? Little babies, you know, how do we relate to babies? Babies make these little sounds. And all the big people around them, we say to the little child, we say, oh, okay, sweetheart, let me go get you your bottle. But, of course, they didn't say that. They just went, and this, this activity, this, these, these millions of conversations that we have, we're relating to the child as who they are, right, and who they are not yet, meaning they're not a speaker. Right. But we talk to them as if they are, and that actually teaches them how to speak. And so if you think about that idea and you say, well, wait, can we keep doing that as adults? Can we keep growing <laughs> in that sort of way, have that kind of, such rich fundamental transformation? The answer is yes, but we've got to perform our way there. And so that's why you have to spend some time being who you're not. You have to pre- literally pretend to be, you know, I, I, when I was saying before, Chicky, about being an author, performing as an author, in order to write the book, I had to pretend to be an author because it was the only way that I, it was my only way in. <laughs> right, right. It was only, my, it was literally what I had to do in order to like start, you know, typing on my computer. So, um, and then just on all, all the worlds of stage, what I'd say is that we, um, we play many different roles. Uh, we're not just one way. And if we can think of life and work as a series of scenes in a, in a play that we are in, uh, then I think we have some more flexibility and more possibility for, uh, for doing things differently, for trying out new new ways for making different kinds of uh, choices about how the scenes of our lives go. Well, and what that jogs in my mind is is actually giving yourself permission to play the scene. 
right? Yes. Because especially yes. as women, and and this I this show used to be geared uh, just toward executive women. We've we've broadened our our audience and rebranded the show as the Game Changer. Um, but as women, quite often uh, we apologize for one role or the other. So if we're at work, we may apologize that we have to leave early to get to our daughter's softball game, right? Right. Or right. if if we uh have work we have to do over the weekend, I've got a contract, I've got to get out to someone, then I'm apologizing, you know, in my other role instead of just giving ourselves permission to do what we need to. And I mean to try to keep boundaries within our lives. But but that gives me a little bit different perspective because I do have to play all of those roles. I don't get to yeah. choose that all of the sudden, you know, the mom role is just going to have to wait. Yeah, yeah. No, I think what you're saying is really important. And I mean, I mean, we could have a whole conversation just about the, the extent to which women feel the need to apologize for who we are and for what we do. Right. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I think that, um, one of the things that I, I've actually done a lot of, I, we work a lot with women, and, and I, this, is, this is a live issue for so many of us. And uh, one of the things that I've coached women to do is instead of apologizing, because I think it can be hard to just stop doing something. I always want to try to give people something new to do uh, in, in place of it. So to say, instead of saying, you know, I'm really sorry about that, you could say, I'm really excited about this. Can I tell you what I'm about to do? <laughs> right. And, like, even though that feels like, oh, that's not really how I'm feeling, say that. Right. Try that line and see how that affects what it is, how, how you do feel about what you're doing, you know? And oh, in a way, no, that is oh, so true. And include people in that. Include people in, you know, instead of, you know, in some sense, isolating yourself. Oh, I've got to go off and do this thing. You know, can't wait to tell you how it goes. Right. But anyway. <laughs> well, let's let's try to see if we can uh, plow through a bit of Act 2. I think I actually do want to invite you back rather than rushing through everything. Sure, but but let's to. try to get through the next section and then, you know, we'll we'll schedule another time when we can come back and talk about the last piece cuz that's actually the piece that really really excites me and I, I oh, great. don't want I don't want to go too quickly through that. So let's let's set a goal. We've got about fifteen minutes left. Let's talk about the becoming principle and the five fundamentals of performance. And you know, even if we just do this as an introduction to them and then the next time we get together we can dive more deeply. Uh, I really want to lay this foundation because you're you're absolutely right. Sometimes you do have to take on that role and decide to decide to say words. And I've been saying for years, you know, that I am the CEO of a well-funded company based in Tampa, Florida. Right? And I've been a CEO for a very long time. I've had my company for 20 years. But the well-funded company is is something that hasn't yet come to fruition. I've had a successful consulting company, but now I've got a technology company, right? Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. want to to have that take form and shape. And I want it to be based in Tampa, Florida, not because that's where all of the investors are who invest in this stuff, but because I like living here and I want to have a team that is close by, right? Because I miss the performance elements of being 
in an office with other people. With others. Now, I do with not others. miss yeah. corporate life, so make no mistake. And you said you hadn't been in corporate life, and it's a good thing because you would have dropped out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know you would have because I wanted to drop out like every day when I went to work because uh, those constraints were just like that that uh, you know grade school that you went to in New York City, right? Mm-hmm, the first one. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, as we take a look at these performance um, fundamentals, the first one is choosing to grow. So lay that foundation for us. Sure. So the the becoming principle just to just to recap this idea that in order to grow in order to learn in order to continue to develop in whatever area of your life or work that you want to develop in this idea that we are not just who we are but we're who we are and who we're becoming okay and so these five fundamentals are part of are what i think it takes and in my experience of working with people over 20 years in our company performance of a lifetime, what are some of the what, are, what were the key the key themes that kept on emerging that really made a difference in helping people to to make whatever their performance breakthrough or breakthroughs were that they wanted to make? So the first is choose to grow, and the, the basic idea here, Chicky, is that if we're going to uh, to, to, to expand our repertoire, we're going to have to make some choices to do things that do not feel comfortable to you. And so one of the things that I talk about in, in this chapter is getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's a really important human skill. It's a very important leadership uh, capacity to, to not know how things are going to work out, to not know how to do something and to make the choice to, you know, to, to, to leap before you look. (laughs) And, um, and, and that produces an enormous amount of growth. Now I think that it's also very important that you create a support network uh, to help you in that growth. And so uh, I think that that makes a very big difference. It's one of the reasons that the next fundamental is called build ensembles everywhere. But before we go there, just to to wrap and choose to grow, so to think about what in your life, what are some things that you currently do? Sometimes that might be, you know what, I need to have a conversation where I have some dear friends or colleagues uh, give me some feedback on some things about me that I really don't want to hear. That's hard to hear. But you make the choice to do that so that you can hear some of those tough things and, and then act on them, you know, right. listen to what people have to say. So those kinds of things. We have a we have a term in improvisation where which I talk about later in the book, also it's one of the fundamentals, but it's go into the cave, do the hard thing, have the conversation about the elephant in the room. Um, you know, take a class that uh is not the kind of thing that you would ever do. You know, take a playwriting class. Uh, right. Take a, you know, skydiving class. But do things that are not natural. I, I'm right. not taking a skydiving class. I'm saying somebody else. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I, I will share a little personal insight. Um, I, I had been for many, many years, my husband and I have been married 25 years, and for the first 20 years of our marriage, I was the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, a, a good 
percentage of, of that time uh, after we had children, he was the Mr. Mom. Uh, he mm-hmm. took care of the house and, and his mother who lived across the Good street and, and, and the kids. And he also did all the administration for my companies. So, you know, we were business partners as well. But, but fundamentally, I was the one bringing in the money. And, and I was really the stronger of the two personalities, which I know you find that so hard to believe. But um, <laughs> You're such a wallflower. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we went away to this um, faith-based weekend, and, and actually you don't go together. The guys go first and, and the women go the following weekend. And you don't have oh, to be uh-huh. married. It, it's something that you know anybody can go through. But if you are married, you both have to go through it. And, um, you know, here I thought, because I was deeply spiritual and, and, you know, I thought it was going to be a tune-up for me and an overhaul for him, right? Um, And so he goes first, you know, as as it's designed. And the the guys actually aren't allowed to tell their wives anything about the weekend. um, Oh, really? Because they don't want to spoil anything, you know. So, so you know, I watched his behavior that week and it actually made me angry because I I didn't believe that in that short period of time that there could be that level of fundamental change in his life right and and so I I just kind of snidely said well you know I hope it lasts right and <laughs> which of course cut him to the quick well then yeah, really I go, then I go through my weekend and and because it's faith based you know God kind of pulled me aside and and said listen you want him to be the leader of your home. And, you know, sister, you better sit back and figure out how that's going to happen because yeah. he's got all the right material. And and so uh, without sharing all of the rest of what happened that weekend, I came home, and the one thing I did differently was uh, uh, one of these principles of performance, and that is whenever my kids would come and ask me anything, I'd say, Go ask your father. He's the, the leader of our home. Right? I love that. I love that. Well, let that. me tell you. I mean, it transformed our marriage. It transformed him. So I wow. know this to be true, that that if you say the words, even if you don't feel them, or you do something that doesn't come natural to you, and let me tell you, that did not come natural to me. But mm-hmm. now that I have seen the fruits of it, and it's been 10 years now, and, I mean, he's, he's like this totally transformed individual, and now he is the breadwinner. And, you know, at, a, at age 65, he's the breadwinner and has wow. allowed me to invest my, you know, whatever money I have uh, brought in from consulting, I've been able to invest it in my technology company, which I wouldn't have been able to do before. So, um, you know, this that particular one uh, is, is huge. Now, performance uh, can I just say number something? two. Can I, sure. Can I just oh, say absolutely. something about that? Because there's such a great story, Chicky. I mean, it's um, part of what, yeah, part of what's saying, sometimes what it is, is it's saying a different line. And what that does is it gets you out. It, it helps break you from the script you've been using all along. Oh, right? Yeah. And, it's, and it gives you a new script. And that's, and it, and then you see how that impacts on both you and everybody around you. There's another there's another tenet that that I refer to in the improv fundamental chapter, which is make the other person look good. That's what you do mm-hmm. in improvisation. And so that line that you just said 
that you shared, you know, that you said, uh, you know, to your children, ask your father, he's in charge. That, that's part of giving him what he needs, you know, so that he can do that performance and, and, and giving and creating the, the ensemble, if you will, which is our next fundamental to support the new play that you're creating. Right. It's just so powerful. I love it. And, you know, I, as I looked at, at, Performance fundamental number two of build ensembles everywhere. This kind of speaks to my heart as an entrepreneur, which is uh, what I was just starting to share with you earlier, that I have essentially, as, as a strategic consultant, I have worked alone for 20 years. Now, I've, I've worked with many companies, and I've put together teams that you know, have, have built you know, amazing new entities within companies. So I, I've had people around me, but pretty much I've been the one-woman show, right? And now I know that I want to get to that next level in my own company, which requires that I build that ensemble. And, mm-hmm. and that ensemble is what is actually going to propel my company to its next level because it's gotten as far as it can with the one-woman show. Yeah. Yeah. It, so I think it, you have a new audience for your book, which is entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs have amazing challenges because we try to do everything. We try to play every role in the play, and that's exhausting. Yeah. It's totally exhausting, and and it's fine if you want to be a particular size, i.e. small. Uh, and many people, you know, are fine being solo entrepreneurs doing that, even though it does get lonely. Um, you can still, you know, succeed that way. But, but yeah, I think, but, but even that's, even if you are a solo entrepreneur, you still have to work with other people because you have clients, you have customers, you have vendors, right. you have partners, you have, you know, and so on. And so um, creating an ensemble and, and, and realizing that we are not alone and that in some sense we have to work actively because the society is so individualistic um, and I'm not, I have nothing against individualism and, and supporting the development of individuals. But, but, but what in the work that I've done uh, through performative psychology, what I've come to understand, and I've seen this in the work that we do at Performance of a Lifetime with our clients, the power of the group, the power of the ensemble is so significant that the better we are at at building relationships and figuring out how to make connections with other people, the more successful the project, the company, the team is going to be. And um, the this idea that we are building something together. We're not just having a conversation. We're not just working on a project. But we are together responsible to co-create what it is right. that we're doing, I think is very powerful. And this chapter talks about that and gives some real techniques and tips for how to do that. Well, I, I can see, since it's already after 1 o'clock, that we are not even going oh, to make it through the, uh, the first five five fundamentals. But But let's talk about the next one, because this is one that most of us really, really struggle with. And uh, I, I'll say the second half of it first, which is a revolutionary way to have a conversation. And the answer is? Listen! Exclamation point! (laughs) Absolutely. And so many of us only pause in a conversation 
to gather our thoughts for the next thing we want to say. Right. And I, I will tell you that, you know, one of my challenges when I was in corporate life was listening. And uh, I was one of those that was always interrupting people. And I had to have a boss who sent me to corporate charm school, which, by the way, is what would have happened to you. <laughs> So I got sent to an American Management Association training program, a.k.a. Corporate Charm School. And I learned that when I thought I wanted to say something really, really important, it was going to just shatter the lives of everyone at the table, I should write it down rather than interrupting. And I, I still, when I'm in a meeting, I still have to practice that. But I think probably the best thing for me has been this radio show. Because, uh, and I, I share this with all of the authors that I interview, and the people who listen to this show probably know this by now, is that I don't prepare questions. We just talk. And But I, I really do have to set it up so that I can listen to the answers, because I don't have a prepared set of questions to go mm-hmm, to for the next mm-hmm. thing. So it has mm-hmm. to build. So I know that building is also a fundamental principle. It's not one of your fundamental four. Uh, Well, although the next one probably is, as I look at the name of it. But building is the one principle I remember from Karen Huff's book. And it's when you're brainstorming, rather than everybody just saying, well, how about this? You know, everything has to be and instead of but. But, right, right, right. So so talk to me a little bit more about listening, and then we're going to have to break away from that and hear a little bit about how people can get in touch with you. And then I'm going to tell them about how they can find out when you're going to be back because okay. we don't know that yet. That's the other half. That's act four of the play, <laughs> right, or act right. two and a half. <laughs> uh, well, you are a very good listener, so the Corporate Charm School worked. Uh, <laughs> so well, I just, my my <laughs> former boss will be happy to know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the when, as you say, in general, we're just not that good at listening, uh, and we're not really taught to listen unless, as you you know, you had the fortunate experience. Perhaps it was humiliating at the time, but you know, to be sent to a <laughs> a course, right? On, Hey, hey one, it was held in Carmel, California, overlooking oh. the, the uh, Pacific. So, no, it was not humiliating. It was a great break from corporate life, which I hated. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. I'd like to teach at that school then. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that we, we, we listen in ways um, that is not really listening. Uh, we, we're thinking about what we want to say. and. I think that we want to think about listening as a wonderful and if, and if, and if, and if possible to even imagine this is the most important part of having a conversation, okay? Because that's where the unexpected is possible. That's where you can make a connection with another person or persons and go someplace that you didn't plan originally. Does that mean that you have to totally abandon your agenda? Uh, No, but it will be impacted on, certainly the how, the how of it. And so the idea that I talk about in this fundamental 
It comes from the world of improvisation, which is to relate to everything you hear, everything anybody says or does as an offer. And your job uh, as a co-creator of that conversation, of that scene, is to hear that offer and to build with it, to use your right. language as well. And um, that's going to take you places and that, that, that you're not, that you didn't know you were going to go, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And right. you're going to also, if you're inside an organization, whatever size it is, or a family, because a family is an organization, people are going to notice if you're listening in a different way, they're going to see that and they're going to say, oh, back to that permission thing we were talking about. Oh, that's how you do it? That's a way to listen? Um, I'm going to try that as well. Mm. I love it. Well, we do have to break. And I was telling uh, one of my friends on Facebook was saying yesterday that she was looking for a new, uh, like, mini series or something to binge watch on Netflix. And <laughs> I was talking about the show 24 and how you, if you were going to binge watch 24, you had to always stop at the bottom of the hour. Because if you wait until the top of the hour, they draw you right back in so you can't not watch the next show. <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm going to give, like, the, the, the picture into our next interview, which will begin with the fourth fundamental principle, which is create with crap. So on that note, and you, you, you're not allowed to talk about it, okay, on I that note, you've got to tell us how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about Performance Breakthrough. I mean, clearly they can buy your book on Amazon and many other places. But this radical approach that we've been talking about, and we are going to have another show. We'll get that scheduled as soon as possible. But tell us how people can reach you. Great. Uh, yes, so our website is performanceofalifetime.com, performanceofalifetime.com, and that's the website of my company. And uh, you can get through to me that way. Uh, you can also just go to kathysalit.com, uh, and you will get to my page on our website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at kathysalit uh, on Twitter. And Facebook, Kathy Salit, author, and of course LinkedIn. And I would love for people to uh, to reach out and uh, contact me. And uh, I, um, I I get back to everybody who reaches out to me. By the way, I that's important to me. Fabulous. I uh, would love for people to get the book and to get feedback on the book. Uh, and if you love it, if you like it, please write an Amazon review. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the book is called Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work, and my company is Performance of a Lifetime. And you just stole my line. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, Damn, totally sorry. okay. Sorry. That's one of the principles of, of what we have been talking about, right? So now <laughs> I just get to build on that. Anyway, we will have a part two of this interview about performance breakthrough. And I have just had a blast today with Kathy uh, Salit. And Kathy, I will be in touch and we will get uh, another session scheduled. And for those of you who are listening, our new website is thegamechanger.network. And you can listen to uh, a number of our shows uh, commercial-free there. And then if you would like to join, uh, we have about 300-plus 
other interviews that you can listen to. And we would love to talk to you about your challenges and how you are changing the name of the game. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you soon. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Thank you.